Welcome to the Evolution 2.0 podcast, where we explore the intersection of art, technology, business, biology, and spirituality. Here, you'll discover new trends in evolution that are changing the way we think about everything. This is your host, Perry Marshall, author of Evolution 2.0, 80-20 Sales and Marketing, and guides to Ethernet, Google, and Facebook. I'm founder of the Evolution 2.0 Prize, a quest for the missing link between Earth science, the information age, and life itself. Let's join the conversation now. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's Audie Cashin. I am, uh, I don't know what I am. I'll tell you what I am from a bio perspective, but I'll tell you what I am. I am a passionate individual that loves to help transform people's lives like you. And I'll tell you what, I just had... Perry Marshall and I just connected like 10 minutes ago. And I love this man already. He's real. He's passionate. He like does his job and loves what he does and knows that work-life balance really doesn't exist. You know, if you find what you love to do, then you don't even have to worry about work-life balance because you're doing what you love to do. And I'll tell you how Perry's life touched mine. So I've got a nonprofit called the World Peace Center. You guys are, are well aware of that. And as a result of being a nonprofit, educational nonprofit to help people find their passion and their purpose, leading to ultimate peace, thus co-creating world peace, one individual and one organization at a time, what, what, what we got was a Google ad grants for $10,000 a month. Can you imagine $10,000 a month to spend in Google ad grants? I mean, that's, that's strong, right, Perry? I mean, not too many people. Your, your guy that you were just telling me about had that much, right? But um, I couldn't figure out how to use them. I wasn't able to maximize them. And I read Perry's book, and it finally got me dialed in to know what I was doing. And it's because Perry talks about the 80-20 principle. And I want to just introduce him. So the way he's touched my life is he's helped me dial in the mission that we are on. And when I say dial in, it's really about focus. And so I don't want to talk a lot about me, but I just want to tell you how Perry's influenced my life in his mindset, in his thinking. And he just said something about misfits and Planet Perry and how just people, odd and crazy people that basically like Steve Jobs, he said, you know what? It's those that are the crazy people that believe that they can do it, that they could co-create world peace or whatever that looks like in your world. And they live that dream and they actually influence the world for that. So, Perry, I just want to like let you open up and say, what's on your heart right now? What are you thinking about? Well, uh, I'll tell you right Right this instant, what I'm thinking about is um, I, I did a one-day seminar here in Chicago a week ago, and we had a whole bunch of customers come in from all over the place. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of heady. We're a little bit intellectual. We're all entrepreneurs. We, we like to take things apart, put them back together. Probably we like taking things apart a little more than we like putting them back together. We, we want to know how things work. Like I, I remember when I was five years old, I was super, super curious to see what the my dad's transistor radio looked like. So I took a hammer to it and he, he wasn't really happy about it um, when he came home from work, you know, but, you know, I got to see what the insides looked like. There was all these circuits and um, it's like, well, dad, you can take it back together. Right. Um, but, uh, I got, had all these people. And so, you know, the seminar runs from eight to five and, and then the view kicked us out at six. So we went, we went down the street, um, to the food court and the food court closed at seven thirty, And so then they kicked us out. And so we went to this bar 
and the bar closed at 10. Now I had been up since five and I was wiped out, man. Like I'd done a whole seminar for a day. Well, it turns out I just found out yesterday. So then there's like six or seven people left in another bar. They got kicked out at midnight and then they went to another bar and they kicked them out at two. And then they went to another bar that closed down at four. And in Chicago, all the bars have to close at four. So like they were done, there was like nowhere to go. So it was the meeting after the meeting, after the meeting, meeting after the meeting. And, you know, and, and the lady, um, one of my customers, uh, Sarah Davis, actually, um, who's, she's got her own colorful history. She said, well, you know, the, like my tribe, like this is so fascinating. Like I can have conversations can't have anywhere else and and so here we are and we're just having all this you know it was just so engaging and my brain was on fire and everybody's brain was on fire and you know that's kind of what it's like when you find your tribe and hey man if if you're at the meeting the meeting after the meeting after the meeting after the meeting at four o'clock in the morning i'm sure there is like no worth work-life balance but dang you you sure are having a good time <laughs> Right. And, and, and I don't, I don't have any doubt. I don't have any doubt that very prosperous seeds of new businesses got planted with all of the cross pollination. Um, you know, one of my, one of my pet topics is biology and I, I used to hate biology. Like my biology teacher in high school was dreadful. Hmm. And like, I think it's a crime against humanity to take the most interesting subjects in the world and make them boring and drone on and monotone. Like hmm. there ought to be a law against this, but anyway, but later, much later, I rediscovered this. And I, um, one of my, probably my favorite Ted talk is a talk called how bacteria talk by Bonnie Bassler from Princeton University. And she's got this whole crew of people. They've been studying bacteria. You know, I, but I always kind of imagined like bacteria as these like, you know, little lone wolves that just kind of go out and they try to infect you or, or whatever. Uh -huh. No, they bacteria always live in colonies huh. and they're very, very social creatures and they have language. Okay, they have literal language with words like me and you and us and them. Okay, and watch, it's How Bacteria Talk by Bonnie Bassler. Go watch this TED Talk, okay? And she explains all about it. And but this has been in the literature for decades, by the way, okay? Hmm. Like, in a certain sense, like, bacterias are bacteria are better software programmers than humans are. Okay, a, col a colony of bacteria can do more software engineering in 12 hours than a team of Google engineers can do in 12 weeks. And that, wow. is, that is a fact. Okay. And so if you are, if you are um, like, let's say it's November and you go out all day and, you know, it's cold and you, your feet get wet and, you know, and all that. And then, and then you wake up like, four o'clock in the morning the next day and you you feel this sinus infection coming on like oh no you know oh i'm you know i'm getting under the weather i'm catching a you know catching something uh okay 
you might think that, oh, you know, I caught some germs today. No, 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 no. You got those germs weeks ago. Mm. And they were quietly flying all along. And Bonnie's video explains this. They were they were quietly multiplying for weeks in your body and just hiding, you know, under the bushes, so to speak. And 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 they get these signals. They're like, okay, how many of us is there? Is there enough of us? You know, can, do we have a chance? And then your immune system gets compromised a little bit. You know, you, your your resources are diverted in other things, and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, go, and they and they attack. Okay, and then all of a sudden you got strep throat, right? They they've been planning this for weeks. Okay, well, so they they always do things together, and like or okay, if you if you make a cup of coffee, you put cream and sugar in it, and then you let it sit on the counter for four days. What's growing on the top of your cream and sugar four days later? Looks like moss. Right, you got nasty. You got mold in there. Yeah. Okay. Now, now let's say you let's say you took an eyedropper and you put some kind of poison in there. Well, the bacteria at the outer edge of of that colony they will sacrificially build a wall of protection around the bacteria colony so the ones on the inside can survive. Wow. Okay? And they will rearrange and uh, readjust genetics so that they can do that job. Okay? Now, entrepreneurs are bacteria. Mastermind groups are bacteria colonies. Okay? And see, okay, so here, here's another thing. So... And, and so what, okay, why am I telling you all this? Well, I, I wrote a book called Evolution 2.0 that went down the evolution creation rabbit hole. And what I found was coming from a very particular perspective. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing not very many biologists have been business consultants who worked in 300 industries, but I'm a business consultant that's worked in 300 industries. And as I went down this rabbit hole, I came to this realization Business is biology, and biology is business. Like, there is no difference. Okay. Explain that. Okay. All right. So, okay. So, a, a leaf on a plant is a highly organized colony of cells. Okay? There are colonies of bacteria that are indistinguishable from multi-cell organisms. Like, you can't even draw a clear line between the colony of bacteria versus the single organism, okay? Um, there's, there's actually just shades between the two, okay? And, and furthermore, um, like a chloroplast is the thing that makes plants green. And every, probably everybody learns this, right? And so that it, there's that green thing in there, and it's called a chloroplast. It turns sunlight into energy. What most people don't know is a chloroplast. You know what a chloroplast actually is? Let me think for a sec. It, I mean, it's uh, chlorophyll. I mean, it's a part of. Yeah, it makes chlorophyll. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, a molecule. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a molecule. Is that what you're asking? It's actually a cell. Is it a cell? Okay. It's. So it's. A it's cell. You know what it? You know what it actually is? Hmm. It's a blue-green algae. Oh wow! Like from the ocean. It's algae. Yes. Wow. Who knew? Every chloroplast is an algae that lives inside a plant cell. Uh-huh. It's got its own DNA. Uh-huh. They reproduce independently the same way algae do. 
and they live inside a cell. It's like a Starbucks in a Marriott. How cool is that? Okay. So go further with okay. that. So every, every, so do you have a window in your office there? Yeah. Okay. Can you look out the window and see anything green? Yes. Anything, okay. Grass, trees. Yep. It's all green because algae lives inside of those plant cells. Hmm. Wow. Same kind of algae that's in the ocean. Okay. But they've formed symbiotic merger. Okay. So, so a tree or your, even your own body is cells inside of cells inside of cells. Okay. Now, so let's jump over and let's think about any kind of company with more than one employee. I mean, right. it could be you and your virtual assistant. It could be you and some people on Fiverr that do some little things for you. It could be you and a graphic designer. Or it could be Exxon Corporation, okay, with thousands of employees, okay? Well, all right, so have you ever heard anybody say that your body replaces all of its cells every seven years? Have you yep. ever heard that before? I have. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, like, 10 years later, you are completely new. Cell, all the cells are new. All the molecules are new. But you're still you. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? And you remember what you remember and, you know, you, you're still a member of your family and all that stuff, right? Okay. Um, Ford Motor Company, every single one of its employees have complete, completely 100% get replaced every 50 years. Huh. But Ford Motor Company is still Ford Motor Company. Right. And, and they still do the same thing. Right. It's part of their DNA. Ford Motor Company is, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ford Motor Company is a living organism. I get okay? it. Business, business is how there's these biological organisms called humans. Mm. And business is how we feed ourselves. Mm. It's how we eat. Eating is like rather necessary, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. So, all right. So, you know, a, a, chimp, a chipmunk dies in the forest and then like all of these you know, scavengers, you know, birds and ants and beetles and bacteria, they start eating the thing, right? Right. Well, you know, on the street over here, Carson Peary Scott is closing down and Toys R Us is closing down and here come the scavengers, you know, okay, we buy the stuff 30% off, 50% off, 70% off, 80% off, you know, and then all these, they come and they buy the shelves and they buy the cash registers and you know, and the, the space gets opened up for lease and, you know, and, and like, and all this stuff gets recycled again. Like it's all, you realize it's like all the same stuff, like whether we're talking about white cells chomping on germs in your bloodstream or whether we're talking about, you know, building a mode of competition against your, you know, to, to survive in the marketplace. Like it's all the same thing. Wow. Yeah. I, I, at my seminar the other day, I, I told, I told every, I held up my evolution book and I said, this is a science book, like through and through. But if you can read between the lines, it's also a business book. Just mm. like put on that hat when you read it and like, we all do this. So I tell entrepreneurs, you know, you may not have even thought about biology, but you actually know more about evolution than most people. 
You know, if you've managed a Google AdWords account mm. or if you've bought Facebook traffic, you understand adaptation and selection as well as anybody because it's your money, man. Like anybody ever like spent $5,000 buying traffic and like got nothing to actually work? Ouch. Ouch. Right. Yeah. There's this funny way how spending your own money, it learns you. It learns you real good. Very quickly. You know, uh, one of my, my, my basic, like if there's, if you're hiring a person to manage Google AdWords or Facebook or any paid traffic for you, Amazon ads, if you're ever hiring somebody to do that, never hire anybody unless they can prove to you that they learned it on their own dime and they made a profit doing it. Mm. Otherwise, it's not real. If they can prove to you, right? And ninety-five percent of people will fail that test. Mm. They'll be, oh yeah, you know, I listened to a podcast about uh, Facebook ads, and then my company um, gave me a two thousand dollar a month budget, and I know about, yeah, I know about that. No, you don't. You didn't wow. spend your own money. You didn't learn how to squeeze the juice out of the orange. Not like you would if it was your money. Mm. you're you're just you're you're an amateur the pros are the ones that spent their own wow so let me ask you this get in the game let me let me slide in here so we're a nonprofit. we got that ten thousand dollar google grant and i know mm -hmm. that i did not focus on it at the level that i know i needed to because it was always there and i didn't spend i wasn't ten, spending ten thousand dollars on it then they said, OK, you've got to have a click through rate of five percent or greater or we're going to take it away and your, your account will be suspended. So that's whenever I got in here yeah. and that's whenever I bought all your books and, and got all the seminars and everything like that. And I was like, no way. I'm losing ten thousand dollars. It wasn't until the takeaway moment happened that I got engaged and made it happen. But now to your point, am I not stepping up to the level and getting the maximum out of it because I haven't actually paid for it? You see what I'm saying? Like, should I open up a Google account and actually start paying for it? Because that's going to help me be able to use that $10,000 more. Is that what you're kind of saying? Well, in this? How, how about, how about you put 2000 of your own money in and spend 12? Yeah. But yeah, like, like, you know, if you're, if you're doing it right, then the extra two you spend should come back to you. Yes. We're not doing it right yet. So right? we're still in startup mode. We're not off the ground, really, being honest and transparent. Well, right. And and look, the, the, the dirty little secret is most nonprofits, like 70, 80, 90% of nonprofits are not run like businesses. Um, they're, they're like, okay, I, I completely understand and acknowledge that a for-profit business and a nonprofit are two different things. And like, if you have a nonprofit that teaches kids to read, there's no way that you're going to make money doing that. Okay. Like, especially if they're like in the inner city or, or they're in Mozambique or something like, of course it's not a self-sustaining thing. Okay. I get that. However, you still have to use your marketing, promotional PR dollars, resource salaries, time, you know, all of that, you have to use it like it's an ROI investment. Okay. Can I spend 
$1 on fundraising to get $3 of funds. You can't spend $1 on fundraising to get 50 cents. Mm -hmm. It's not okay. Um, and, and it just doesn't. And like, I'm just going to tell you like it is hmm. a lot of nonprofits. Here's kind of their mentality. What we're doing is so righteous and it's so worthwhile that, you know, even if we, you know, it's like that story about the guy throwing seashells back into the sea on the seashore. Well, I saved one, you know, and, and like they all, they feel so self-righteous about what they're doing that they, they don't even obsess about helping the absolute maximum number of people with the resources they've got and just like aggressively growing the thing. Um, you know, I, I got a, I got a friend who's a Christian missionary and he, he goes, you know what? He goes, most Christian missionaries are lazy. They don't really do very much. And not only that, two thirds of the money they raise supports the headquarters. And it doesn't even like, you know, and, um, and like, I know a whole lot about the, that world. There are people in that world that are making lots of stuff happen with surprisingly little money. You know, it's, it's 80, 20, you know, 20% of the money is generating 80% of the results, but because like, they're all just doing this good thing. They don't, they think that's good enough and don't, they don't hold themselves accountable for like really kick-ass results. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, and, and so, so like if you give money to stuff, you need to look over the shoulder of the people you're giving the stuff to and find out what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I do support relief agencies and mission agencies and stuff like that. And I go visit them. Like I've been to the project in Calcutta. I've been to the project in Rajamundri, India. I've been to the project in Ranchi, India. I've been to the project in Mozambique. I've been to the project in Kenya. There's another project um, in Myanmar that I'll eventually get to sometime, you know, like where I can actually see what they are doing. Um, and uh, like, that's just really important. Absolutely. So can I slide something in real quick? I didn't want to interrupt you. Go ahead and finish that thought, please. No, I'm done. Yeah. So my life's passion, and to your point, I was, I really did poorly in school at UNC Chapel Hill. That's where I went to school. But I found that the people that I connected with, I've always been kind of that lost soul as far as really finding my tribe. You know, you mentioned that early on. But I went to the Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs event in Los Angeles back in 1987. And I was like, these are my people. This is my people. I mean, like I resonated with them. We had conversations of, you know, creating an impact in the world. You know, as a college student, I met Steve Jobs there, met Vern Harnish, who you probably know that wrote the book. Scaling really? up. He was. Yeah. So Vern and I were buddies. I, I went out there to help him in Wichita, Kansas, when they did the entrepreneur thing. I've always wanted to give back. And, and then I went to but I did poorly in school. And so then I went to stay with a Japanese family for a homestay. Um, and and I, I realized and I had my epiphany there. We were divided by language. OK, I stayed with them, but I could tell they cared about me and that we could still communicate back and forth, you know, with hand signals and stuff like that. And trying to look it up in the books of how do you say this and all that. I couldn't speak Japanese. They couldn't speak English. And then I asked them to take me to Hiroshima 
And I saw the, the, all the horrific things that happened as a result of war. So that's where I had my epiphany of this. If I can do anything in my life, I want to be purposeful about helping co-create world peace. I want to bridge the differences that we have in our world because I don't want this to ever happen again. So that's been my commitment since I was, you know, what, 18, 19 years old. Um, but when I went on that trip, but the challenge has been, how do I actually make that happen? So I've always been chasing money to try to fund this nonprofit. And then I finally realized only a couple of years ago, I'm like, I'm still chasing, you know, the, the, you know, I teach the one thing, I'm certified to train and teach that. And it says in the beginning, it has that uh, Russian proverb that says, if you chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been chasing money to fulfill my purpose. And I and I saw these nonprofits, and, you know, they were always after about grants and stuff. So I was like, okay, let me take my entrepreneurial background, starting these different businesses in college. And, you know, while I was doing, I was over in Dubai as well, you know, started a business there. And, and I, I was like, let me do that and focus on really what my purpose is and figure out how to monetize what my passion and my purpose is. And then that'll help be a model for others. You know, you talk about that genome about, you know, if a cell can create, you know, then then there can you can be a model to do that. So I'm trying to figure out how do we do this, you know, that that brings the purpose and the passion together, but also provides for my family. So at first I was giving away all these all this content, you know, about how to find your life's purpose. How do you find your passion, all that kind of stuff. And I realized that it wasn't even changing people's lives because, like you said, they weren't paying for it. They weren't investing anything in it. So then I went back and I said, OK, instead of doing it to the world, let me look at purpose-driven leaders. And that's why I focused on you because I could see the impact in the world that you were having with the 80-20, the kind of materials that you're putting out there, the way that you think, and, and the kind of books and the training that you offer. And then I was like, okay, that's not working because I'm not getting enough traction around these purpose-driven um, entrepreneurs and, and individuals and trainers and coaches, um, you know, like Tony Shi of Zappos. I reached out to him and, and other people like that. And I was trying to figure out how can we have these conversations of peace and purpose like you and I are having right now. And then I was like, okay, let me go back. What is my personal story? And, and how do I connect with those people that I can serve that can actually make a decision quickly? So I went from everybody in the world down to my 80-20 was purpose-driven leaders, CEOs, you know, people like yourself, consultants and, and game changers. And then I went to, okay, a subset of that, what's my 80-20? Well, my dad, when I was in college, um, he was an orthodontist, okay? And, and so as a dentist, and to me, he was ready to get out of college, just getting ready to graduate, and I called him up during exams, and I'm, you know, shiny object syndrome, you know, the squirrel. And I was like, hey, guys, y'all want to come down and have dinner with me? And so they came to Chapel Hill from High Point, North Carolina, where I live. And my dad, you know, um, he said to me after we had dinner, he said, Audie, I just can't handle the stress. I can't handle the stress. And so even though he was doing what he was passionate about, he was just being overwhelmed. And so that's why I got into this whole 80-20 and how do you create a life that's you know, the life of your dreams that doesn't create that kind of stress. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of he was providing. He was a great dad. But then that night he went back home and had a massive heart attack. And so that's what my passion came from. I'm like, let me help the dental profession. Let me get down to that 20 percent. And now I'm even going to focus even more. It's going to be the top tier of those 20 percent that want training and want to figure out how to live that life of their dreams. So does that make sense? Like even through mm -hmm. the nonprofit, I'm having to figure it out. You know what I mean? Wow. 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 Well, yeah. Heart, heart attacks. attacks. That's heavy yeah. stuff. That's how he died. That was the last time I saw him. Well, okay. So that's so my story. 
Yeah. Wow. So then what? So I've been on this plane doing the nonprofit, you know, hadn't figured I had a, an agency working for us doing the Google AdWords, but they were not able to dial that in. We were getting a lot of impressions, but it wasn't converting. So then I was about to lose that ad grant. And so I started focusing on, okay, let me learn how to do it. Started doing it. Then I, I ran into a guy reached out to me and said, I actually focus on nonprofit Google AdWords. Well, then we got our ad grant suspended because we were going into too many countries. So they said, you've got to just, you either have to have an office there or you have to have it on your website. So I followed all that they told us to do. We still haven't gotten it back. It was suspended about two weeks ago. So I'm still trying to figure out the messaging to help people transform their own lives and, and you know, really help them do that. And, and what does it look like? So that's why I'm so fascinated with everything that you teach. So that's why we're talking today. <laughs> well, amazing. Okay. Well, so, you know, everything is unequal. The whole universe runs on inequality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people don't like, okay, there, there's this kind of separation that you need to cleanly and clearly make. And it, it's, it's, it's a separation between the is world and the should be world. Okay. That's part of it. Okay. Um, part of it is making a distinction between what can only be described as spiritual ideals um, as compared to material realities. So, so 8020 says that anything that, is based on positive feedback will generate hugely, hugely unequal results. What do I mean by positive feedback? Positive feedback is whenever behavior reinforces the same behavior. Okay. So like this is everywhere. This is as basic as there is a hill and there is rain and water flows down the hill. Okay. Well, the water will find a path of least resistance and it will make a river and and when the river flows the river will erode the dirt in the river and it will make the river deeper and there will be a river okay and 80 percent of the water will flow in 20 percent of the space and like that's the most fundamental basic rudimentary example of 80 20 that i probably could think of okay and that describes sand dunes and avalanches and weather and water and, you know, the size of craters on the moon, right? Okay. You know, there's rocks, there's rocks at the beach and, and the surface coming in and it grinds the rocks into smaller and smaller and grinding makes more grinding. That's how you get sand mm. and sand is 80, 20. Okay. All, it's just positive feedback. So, Rocks are always going to be unequal in size. If you take a bucket of sand, 80% of the, of the particles are going to be in 20% of the space, and 80% of the 80% is going to be in 20% of 20%. just keeps going until you get down to you know, the smallest ones. So like this is how everything is unequal, and people are unequal, and incomes are unequal, and companies are unequal, and restaurants are unequal. Okay, so it's inequality everywhere. Well, now, in human, the, the reason that civilization exists is to deal with the inequality, okay? So 
everybody knows that twin babies six months old can't earn as much income as their father. So you have a family and the fathers and mothers take care of the infants, right? Because of inequality. Now, now we also have this idea of equality. We hold these things self-evident that all men are endowed with or created by certain alienable rights and their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? And that's the Declaration of Independence. And that's it's like the whole cornerstone of Western democracy. All right. Well, there's an interesting story about that. Now, I'm getting to a point of making a super important distinction in your business and in your life. I think if you get clear about this, it's really going to help you sort things out. Okay. I am telling you this story. So in 1830, the U.S. was 50 years old, and all of the aristocracy in Europe was, like, crapping their pants. They're like, what is going on in the United States? What is going on with this democracy? They don't have kings. They don't have queens. Everybody's, they're the talk of the town. Everybody's talking about it. And, man, you know, this does not, right? And so the French... They picked the smartest guy they could find. His name was Alexis de Tocqueville. And they sent him to the United States and they said, hey, go over there, spend as much time as you need, figure out what makes this place tick and come back and explain it to us. What is going on? So Tocqueville goes to the U.S. and he writes a book called Democracy in America. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Hmm. Okay. It's really interesting. And, like, he gets the United States. He understands it. If you read this book, you'll be like, yeah, it's the same place now as it was then. Hmm. Hmm. Like, it's, you know, kind of like Ford Motor Company. All the employees have turned over, but it's basically still the same company. Mm -hmm. Same thing. The United States is a great big living organism, and there's a certain way that it is, and here's how it is. So here's what Tocqueville says. He says... The United States is the result of two giant forces pulling against each other. Hmm. Force number one is individualism. Hmm. Hmm. And he coined that word. He invented the word to describe American. Americans are individualistic. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the famous popular ones, they're flamboyant. They're, they're out there. They're, you know pushing things forward. They're just trying to see how much they can do. Right. Put a dent in the universe. So that's that's yeah. one. F yeah, man. Yeah, man. They're putting a dent in the universe. So that's, that's half of what makes America, America. Okay. The other half of what makes America, America is equality, mm. which is that whole declaration of independence thing. Everybody's equal. Everybody is considered to be equal under the law, equal under the eyes of God. So Tocqueville says, all right, so where did that idea come from? Mm. He says, I'll tell you where it came from. He says, it comes from St. Paul. Okay. St. Paul said, in Christ, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free, all are equal in Christ. Now Tocqueville points out, Nobody ever said anything like that before Paul did. Even even in uh, the yep. Jews didn't see it that way, right? Or no? Okay. The now the Jews the Jews were instructed to 
be hospitable to the stranger and the wanderer and the widow and the orphan. Okay. Right. But they were never told, nor did they think that everybody was equal to them. Mm. In fact, they considered themselves superior and they were instructed to remain separate. Christianity comes along. The veil of the temple is torn into. Right. Um, and all the apostles say, okay, bring the Gentiles into the fold, man. Everybody's in on this deal. That was new. Mm. You can find you can find premonitions of it in Judaism for sure. Mm. You can find pre-echoes, but equality is not there. And you don't you don't find it in the Greeks, you don't find it in the Chinese, you don't find it in the Romans, you don't find it in the Babylonians. Nobody mm. Nobody thought humans were equal, okay? Mm -hmm. And and you got to realize this. Like, of course, of course, we have slaves. Nobody's equal. Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's the ruling class, and there's the peasants, and there's the slaves, and you know, and the, you know, we get in our chariot, we go down the road, we burn down a village, we take everything. Like, hello, like this is just normal. Mm. Like you read these three thousand year old stories about you know killing the Hittites or something. Well, you read them as an American. Mm. They didn't think that way at all. Mm. The idea didn't even exist. Hey, you know that little slave girl? She's just as good as you. They didn't think that. Right. They would go, you're, dude, you're crazy. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The king has horses and chariots and the slaves have nothing. Nobody's equal. What, are you mm. going to give all the horses and chariots to the slaves? Are you crazy? Who do you think you are? And in fact, you know, what, what's, what's the Old Testament story of ac Exodus and all about? That is about slaves learning to be free people. What's a good thought? Okay. It is what the story is about. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament is about the evolution of humanity. Mm. Okay. And if you, if you don't accept the idea that evolution is inequality in action and it's the superior winning over the inferior if you can't accept that and understand it that this is a fundamental law of the universe you'll never even understand the old testament it won't make any sense you'll be like yeah like i don't know why god is killing all the hittites well you got to remember that before jesus god doesn't consider him to be equal either wow wow because they okay. were his chosen people so he's protecting the Israelites, not anybody else. He said, go and destroy those people. Right. Be yeah. Right. He, he's trying to create a mm. civilization that will last mm. with customs and language and holidays that will last. Mm. And it worked. Okay. You, like, you know, you can, you can open the Bible to some random page and find something that you think is silly, ridiculous, or horrible. Mm. You can do that if you want, okay, and I can't stop you. But the fact is, is the, Jew the Jewish culture is the oldest intact civilization. It's 4,000 years old, same language, same holidays, same religion, same food even, mm -hmm. okay? The Babylonians are gone. The Romans are gone. The Greeks are gone. The Hittites are gone. The ancient Chinese are gone. The ancient Indians are gone. They're all the Mayas, the Incas. They're all gone, and the Jews are here, okay? 
And the idea that all humans are created equal in the eyes of God came out of a Jewish Pharisee who had an encounter with Christ. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And he said, everybody from now on, everybody's equal. And now, and, and what Tocqueville explains is it took 1800 years of this idea grinding away for a country to now get founded on that idea. Okay, we're going to start a whole country that's based on the idea of equality. How cool is that? Now, but but do you see that it takes centuries of struggle Mm. and thinking Mm -hmm. and trial and error and shooting for the mark and missing the mark, shooting for the mark and missing the mark, shooting, okay, even, you know, you have a, a you, you go to the bar and you have an argument with your friends about how we should do healthcare, mm. right? Right. Okay. The argument is about equality versus inequality and how much sacrifice we're all willing and able to make in order to try to have some semblance of equality because we believe that all people are created equal which is an idea that we got from Christianity. Mm. Okay. So this, so we, we, we live in the sort of Darwinian world, but we know we can do better than that. Mm. And so we have this tension between the inequality and the equality and we're trying to figure it out. And you have to respect anybody that's trying to figure out no matter how they land on where they think the equation is, how it, how it should work. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yes. you need inequality to create wealth, but you have to have equality to have compassion mm-hmm. and you have to have wealth to do anything that's compassionate. Because if you don't have wealth, then nobody can eat. And then everybody, then it's anarchy and it's every man for himself. Right. So you got this kind of weird tension that you just got to work out and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And it requires you to listen to people and respect what other people have to say, you know, and, and this is, this is a struggle that our whole culture is going through right now, Absolutely. because now that everybody can communicate with each other, now we're, now we're recapitulating the past. We're recapitulating the history because what is now happening is social media and the internet and all this communication, it has caused everybody to revert back into tribes. Mm, yes we're now we're now back to living like we're in the jungle because the new jungle and we haven't figured out how to live in it yet very well so so you we have we have the polarization and and you know the isolation and and the strident and the protests and the social justice warriors and the political correctness and the fights between the left and the right. And, you know, the xenophobia of the far right and it's all going on and you have to understand it's just a new version of old ancient patterns and behavior. Wow. Okay. So now to bring, so, so now, now to bring this into the present, Mm -hmm. So as a business owner, as an owner, mm. there's some 80-20s that you have to get straight in your head. Mm. Okay. Fire away. And what you have to get what what you have to get straight is 
what am I trying to make equal? And what am I trying, what am I trying to make unequal? Because you have to do both, mm. but you have to be clear about what you are doing. Okay, so it's really interesting that, that this whole conversation started in the context of nonprofit. So here's my take on what an entrepreneur, what are you trying to make equal? Okay, as an entrepreneur, you have a certain margin for charity. Mm -hmm. The world is not 100% charity. In the Jewish tradition, the world is like 10% charity. Mm. Okay, now, if you, you could do this on the back of, the, of a napkin and you could figure out that if the wealthiest people in the world gave 10% of their wealth to charity, you can feed the 80% of the people that don't have enough to eat. 10% mm -hmm. is enough. <laughs> okay. Now the charity has to be administered properly. Mm -hmm. It has to be administered by communities, not by bureaucracies. Okay. That's really yeah. what it comes down to, but it's enough. Okay. But, but the other, so, who, who should you give your money to? Well, in, in my opinion, you should give your money to the things that simply can't survive without getting money. Charities and poor people and the sick and the lame and the blind and, you know, and you're always going to have some of that. You don't give your money to people who are capable of earning it themselves. Mm. This is why Paul said, he who will not work shall not eat. He didn't say he cannot work. Doesn't say that. It says he who will not. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it, what it means, there's a lot of people in the middle mm. that you got to let them struggle. Mm. You And you have to be okay with it. Yeah. Okay. I don't make the rules. I just tell you what they are. I, I, if I help the middle-class people that got three meals a day and I give away free advice, to them, I don't have any money to help the really poor people. Right. Okay. And if I subsidize mediocrity by hiring B players and C players, and I don't fire them for doing lousy work, then I will not have profit and I will not have enough money to hire A players. Mm. And then I'll be mediocre and then I'll go out of business because the world only wants A players. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your job as an entrepreneur is to be an A player, to hire A players, to do A quality work, to pursue excellence, to not tolerate mediocrity, and, and play an A game. So that means you hire slow, you fire fast, you're ruthless about quality control, you hold high standards, your company is not a family, it's a meritocracy. The family part only comes after the meritocracy part has been satisfied. Mm. Within, within the bounds of meritocracy, you have a, a family and everybody looks out, you know, and then somebody's on chemotherapy and you take care of them. But you take care of them because he was an A player when he was healthy. I love it. And for those who and, don't and, 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 and you have to get this. Well, I was just going to say, what? for those who might not get meritocracy, do you want to explain it to you in Perry Planet terms? It's the rewards go to the best. Got it. The merit, yeah, got so, so, okay, so. It's eight, okay, so so here's 80-20. You hire 10 salespeople. I don't care what you do. I don't care how hard you try. If you hire 10 salespeople and they, they work for you for a month, 
Two of them are going to sell 80% of what got sold, and eight of them are going to sell the other 20%, and the two are going to outperform the other eight 16 to 1. That is going to happen. Mm. Okay? Meritocracy. Okay. Okay. The mar- a Marxist <laughs> or a idealist or a person who, like, doesn't get it, they will try to fix the other eight, and they'll go broke trying. Mm. Okay? In a meritocracy, you fire at least six of them, maybe seven, maybe eight, and you keep the two, and the very best one, you give them a personal assistant and an expense account and a company car, and you and you give them a lady that collects the shoeboxes of receipts, and, and you ha- hire somebody to book all his aerpl- airline flights, and you, you know, maybe he's a functional alcoholic, and you, without enabling him too much, you at least get him functional and and he, and he, and he goes out and sells a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. And, and you just, you just like get out of his way and you in like, it's like, uh, but wait, he's already selling so much. We're going to help him. Yes. You're going to help him. Man, you're just going to pour kerosene on the fire and you're just going to get him selling as much, selling like crazy. Okay. Yeah. I know he's bizarre and I know he says stupid things and I, I know half the people in the office don't like him. Okay, just keep him away from all those people. Just get him out in front of customers selling stuff, okay? Because I know he's eccentric and he's high maintenance. Just maintain the guy, okay? Um, that's what's that's a meritocracy. And that's how you make a lot of money. You're like, but he's making more money than than the CEO. Well, does the CEO like making five hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year? Then pay that guy seven fifty. And sell a lot of stuff and stop complaining. Because so guys like that don't grow in trees. Yes, yes. I, I got I gotta I gotta give you a real example of what you're just saying because one of my mentors, his name was Plato Wilson, and you might be familiar with Henry Don Furniture. It's you know really high-end furniture. He was actually their top salesman, exactly what you just said. Everything, and Bill Smith, who was the CEO at the time, said, This guy's making more in commissions than I am as the CEO. And Plato would tell me, yeah, and you wouldn't get that that paycheck if it weren't for me for selling all the furniture. And they ended up cutting his territory, cutting his territory, cutting his territory. He still was producing at the highest levels. I know. And then they fire him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like that's the way the business world works. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Like you just shot yourself in the foot. But anyway, back to your point. That's that's amazing. It happens, it happens all the time. It, look, it's head trash. It's. It's jealousy, it's resentment, it's ego out of control, it's shooting yourself in the foot. Oh, man, we finally got rid of this guy. He's such a pain in the butt. Well, all right, great. You know, you'll run through 35 salespeople before you find another one as good as he is. So enjoy that. That'll be fun, running through that ringer, you know. So, but, yeah, um, so that guy, he'll he'll go get a job somewhere else or whatever. And so th- this is how the world works. And you know, look, I, you know, there's a lot of things I don't like about it. Um, I'm no different than you, but we we have to we have to sort this out. And I think the the older you get, the more you realize, nah, this is just kind of how the world is. You know, we tried socialism and. Well, we stacked up a hundred million dead people doing that. So I don't, I don't think, you know, like, well, we, we don't need to try that experiment again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we, we have a system, it's very flawed, but it works. And you have to understand we, 
again, we are recapitulating the tribalism that, you know, we all came from. And we're going through like another stage, another phase of maturity. And we're all trying to grow up. And it's, it's, it's going to take time. And we need dialogue. And we need to sit down with people. And we need communities. And, you know, we need, uh, you know, the meeting after the meeting. Uh, we, we need to hang out at the bar until it closes. And, and we need to make friends with people who don't think the same way we do. So there you go. I love it. Um, if someone is out there and they've heard your message and they, in their heart, have this passion to want to change and impact the world, and they're like, maybe they're in Pakistan and they live in a tribal village and they don't even have an education. I think of a gentleman, M.B. Koza, who's been connecting with me and we've been talking but they don't have the resources to get started. They don't have a deep, deep pockets or people they can borrow from. What would you recommend is the process of doing what it is that they are passionate about the 80, 20 process of starting a business, getting going, you know, and, and maybe they're in America, it doesn't matter. But what do you think that, what do you think that next step program is? Well, um, if I might be so bold, I, I, I think you should, read 80-20 sales and marketing and you should read Richard Kosh's books on 80-20 and, and you should like get 80-20 in your bones. Most people think they understand it. They really don't. It is much deeper, much deeper than you probably suspect. We barely scratched the surface of it today. And, um, and, and you got to realize that, you know, 50% of your progress is come going to come from 1% of your friends, 1% of your relationships, 1% of your business partnerships, 1% of your customers, 1% of your product line, 1% of the phone calls, 1% of the emails. It's all incredibly unequal, okay? Mm. And you, you might have to turn rocks, but you're, you're, you're looking to turn over the unequal rock. Mm. That is what you're, you're doing. And if you're clear about that, then suddenly you're equipped um, to, to go forward. And, uh, you know, I think, I think the 80-20 sales and marketing book, it will really give you a, an extremely practical sense of how to sift and sort and identify like, okay, I don't know for sure which one of these hundred things is it but I can narrow it down to 10 or I can narrow it down to five and I can be dealing on a one out of five instead of a one out of a hundred. Hmm. And this it's, it's the fundamental of how you do risk management. Okay. Cool. If, if we could all predict the future perfectly, then we wouldn't need to try all those other things. Uh, hmm. There wouldn't be trial and error, but we can't predict the future. The future is, is dictated by the rules of chaos which is what gives rise to 80-20. It's those positive feedback loops. Um, it's the butterfly effect, if some of you know what that is. Um, but, but you can narrow it down. You can, be, you can get good at predicting, okay, it's going to be one of these 10. It's going to be one of these five. It's going to be one of these three. And, and I'm telling you, that's a deep rabbit hole. And just one last thing. Yes. You have to be really careful. And, you know, there's a pendulum that's the swings back and forth very, very slowly and you could call it a pendulum of curation. So if you, if you go back 40 years when, like when I was growing up, we had four channels on the TV set. There was PBS, ABC, NBC, and CBS. That was it. 
four channels. Okay. Well, and, and we got one newspaper and there's like 20 radio stations or whatever. And like, that's it. That's where the information comes from. Okay. Now today we've got like 9 billion information sources, you know, it, gazillions of blogs and gazillions of websites and gazillion, no, whatever. Right. It's just crazy. You know how much, um, well, listen, the pendulum is eventually going to swing back the other way. Um, you're, you're eventually going to see things emerge where the number of trusted news sources and everything narrows down a lot. And I think you're seeing the demise of traditional media, which that's a whole conversation. Okay. But you need to be way ahead of that pendulum swing. Mm -hmm. If you're on email lists of 25 different marketers, you need to chop 80% of them. Actually, you need to chop 80% of anything that you're getting. Mm. Social media feeds, Twitter feeds, um, and you need you need to reduce it to people who only people who you know they tell you the truth. Mm. And and if you're honest with yourself, you you know that a lot of people you listen to, you know they don't really tell you the truth. And deep down, you know it, but you kind of listen to them anyway because they're entertaining. No, if they don't tell you the truth, if they don't tell you the truth, they're out. Mm. You don't listen to them, okay? If they don't have wisdom, if they don't have discernment, if they don't care about their listeners. Mm -hmm. So by this criteria, you should not be listening to CNN. You should not be listening to CNBC. There's a whole... You probably shouldn't be listening to Fox. I mean, honestly, there's like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you should like, just shut them off, right? There's all kinds of marketers, all kinds of gurus, all kinds of bush, and you narrow down. Um, and, uh, you know, half truths is not good enough. And then you, and then you drill down. And, and when you find truth tellers, you hang on them f- to them for dear life. You know, if, if you buy some book or you go to somebody's seminar and it helps you and it moves you forward and it actually gets results, like it's not, oh, th- this really ought to work. I'm sure this is going to work someday. No, like if it really works, okay, then that's who you give your money to. Mm-hmm. That's who you give your attention to. Selectivity. You have to, you have to curate. And you find the truth tellers and you figure out who they say the truth tellers are. Can you say, and I think a lot of, hmm? you have what? some truth tellers other than yourself. Who are other truth tellers out there that you, you value? Um, I'll rattle off a, a list. Okay. Um, Ken McCarthy, Megan Macedo, Glenn Livingston, Ari Galper, um, Richard Kosh. Okay. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure I'm not thinking of a whole bunch of them, but, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson, yeah. he's a truth teller. Um, and like, just, you narrow your focus and you, um, you know, if, if, if you never studied the Bible, your culture, your family, your environment has done you a huge disservice. There's no ed- education, like learning scriptures. Um, this is, this is why the Jewish civilization is so successful. It's because they debate Torah. They debate it. Okay. Like the whole idea of that is, see, I grew up in the super 
conservative fundamentalist strand of Christianity. And they, they did a really good job teaching the Bible, except they were a little bit off, okay? And the way in which they were off was they thought their job was to teach you the interpretation. Mm. This is the right interpretation. No, that always gets you into a swamp eventually. Mm. You're supposed to learn to debate the interpretation and twist the Rubik's Cube. Beautiful. That's what, mid, that's what Midrash is. That's what Talmud is. Mm. That's what real studying of Torah is. And that's the secret. So, wow. Well, there you go. That's my brain done for today. Perry, this has been fantastic. I, it, would, it exceeded, far exceeded my expectations of our conversation. So this has been wonderful. And I'd love to do it again at some point. Um, how, if there's anything I can do to serve you, I want to do that. Thank you very much for your time. It's been fantastic. I really liked what we did. I'd love it if we could put this on my YouTube channel when you get it published, if that would be all right. Absolutely. I, I was going to So ask maybe you can get in touch with my staff and, and do that. Absolutely. I will do that. And is there anything else I can do to serve you? Oh, just thanks for, just push this out there, man. Just get this, get this out. And I'm happy. Awesome. Um, I, I will say this. I, everybody that's listening, if you enjoyed this, you should go to sell8020.com. It'll take you right to my 8020 sales and marketing book. Uh, in the U.S., it costs 18 bucks on Amazon to buy the book, 8020 sales and marketing. We sell it for seven, including shipping. International is 14. You'll get businesses, uh, business bonuses that you won't get. Otherwise, go to sell8020.com and you, and you can buy 8020 sales and marketing. It, it will totally change your life and, and, and nonprofits just as much. Yeah. Or individuals or anything, guys. That's how I came into Perry's world. And like he said, I mean, you got to get the book. So that's transformational. Um, and I'm going to put the URL down at yep. the bottom once we post this. Thank you, Perry. All right. Well, hey, thank you, Adi. I really appreciate you. Take care. Bless you, brother. Take care. Thank you. You're welcome. Until next time, this is the Evolution 2.0 podcast, bridging science, technology, business, and the big questions. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes or on your preferred player. If you like the show, rate us on iTunes. Join our email list and social media at CosmicFingerprints.com.